International. Welcome to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, a podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyce. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hi, Pat. What's going on? Oh, you know, um, still in Austin. Still in Austin. Going still on here. week five, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, week five. Here in Austin. It's uh, very exciting. Yeah, we just uh, enjoyed some delicious regional Bucky's brand uh, caramel corn. Caramel, uh, yeah, caramel popcorn. It's Camouflage themed. Camouflage themed, yeah, yeah. I could barely find it. I just kept sticking my hand at it and just hitting the counter. That's why it's camouflage, because yeah. you eat it all and it's gone. Where'd yeah. it go? Where is it? I'll show you In camouflage. my belly. Yeah, yeah. I'll show you camouflage. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Man, I'm like, I had a little bit and I was like, fuck, I'm really bummed I'm not going to get to Bucky's this trip. Stock yeah. up on snacks. Yeah, that's shit. Maybe that, I can get somebody to drive me before I leave town. I think you could, you gotta, you gotta play on somebody's heartstrings. Like, come on, man. Like, find, like, find somebody that's from here. Yeah. Like, I'm from here and I feel it, but I don't have a car, so I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I pay them in Bucky's snacks, like, how far away is the far, nearest Bucky's? It's probably not that bad, right? 20 minutes? Yeah, 20 yeah minutes? that's yeah. fine. That's going be like, yo, I'll let you hit my pin a few times. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure we can work it out. Yeah, for sure. Now, this is like terrible podcast behavior. I'm just on my phone looking to see where the nearest Bucky's yeah. is. I, on What a Time to Be Alive, I talk about Bucky's like all the time. That's like, right. I really do. I love it. It really, like, for people, like, man, it looks like like a like a mothership out in the middle of space if you like if you catch the right one on the right like distant like bleak yeah. highway the lights are just heaven-like it's insane it's uh it's so bright and it's just full of delicious snacks it's very beautiful yeah it's got a very very poorly drawn beaver logo yeah yeah i do like the logo it's pretty awful but I yeah know. yeah yeah it's got a it gives a little bit of character uh, speaking of, uh, man, nailing this one. Speaking of poorly drawn uh, logos, Kat. Oh, okay, right, hey. okay. Uh, I want to talk today about uh, something I don't think we've, we've touched on yet. Uh, art forgery. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't think we've done any uh, art forgery. I think we did wine forgery was probably the closest thing where yes. uh, that, that uh, Malaysian kid was uh, was dying all the yes, wines. Yes, Rudy, yeah. Rudy Kurniawan. Yeah, Rudy Kurniawan. Yeah, so this is, uh, this one we actually, uh, we're going back to England. I know we were on my last episode. We were uh, we were in uh, the British Isles, and we're going mm-hmm. back. Uh, I was going to talk to you about these. Uh, uh, well, I was going to jump right in. It's a father. It's a father and son uh, art forger team. Uh, okay. Pretty compelling story behind it. Uh, today, I, I like that. I, keep it in the family. Yeah, keep it in the family. Although there's actually a very sad angle to this. Okay, uh, this is a bit of a tragedy. I would say this is the first. Like a lot of times, I'll, I'll feel I'll feel sorry for the subjects of our things, or I'll be like, ah, oh, that stupid idiot. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. This one is actually has like a. It's it's pretty sad. Like, genuinely kind of sad. Yeah, okay. genuinely kind of sad. So sorry, guys, if you're driving, uh, be prepared to have tears obstructing your view of the road. Okay. No, okay. It's not like it's not that serious, but uh, so as we'll jump right in here. Now, this is from a uh, an article on uh, on a website called Narratively. Okay. Uh, I did splice it in di- in a different order because uh, despite their website's name. 
kind of had a poor narrative structure to it. Not so. the best editors at narrative. Yeah. Well, I bet reading it, it was intriguing. But if I was right. like, if I like, if I was speaking it out loud, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So uh, we're just gonna jump in. It's the year's two thousand and six. All right. So okay. It's uh, what's described as a raw March morning in two thousand and six. A posse of Scotland Yard detectives are gathered outside a terraced house near the town of Bolton in one of Northern Northern England's most deprived counties. Okay. It's a gloomy property, and on the end of a in, on the end of an arc of fifties era units, a curve of low-income brick and stucco houses that spill into a sprawling housing estate on the town's grimy outskirts. By 7 a.m., the five detectives, all part of the Yard's art crime unit, watch out. <laughs> Northern England's art, art crime, crime yeah. unit. <laughs> the snobbiest cops on earth. Yeah, oh, man. So, uh, yeah, despite a... Uh, now, the uh, the unit, they had sketched out a plan to search the house, and despite a credible tip-off, detectives still wondered if they'd made an embarrassing mistake, because it was hard to imagine number 17, uh, the lot of the house, housing a ring of sophisticated art forgers. So essentially, they're in, like, council houses. This is kind of like the government housing. Yeah. Yeah, so... So they're, they're basically being classist about who can draw. Ex- yes, <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. There actually is a bit of... Uh, they touch into the northern-southern class disparities in, in England. In oh, this, cool. In I this mean, to hear this. The, the 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 northerners who are our southerners <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah the north is to the south and the south is to the north over here uh these guys these art forgers definitely play upon the fact that everyone in southern england thinks they're stupid hell yeah 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 which man i moved to connecticut for a few years and i had a texas accent and fucking when people would underestimate you or whatever it's just yeah lean into it if somebody, if somebody thinks you're stupid learn to not get insulted and learn to just fucking use it against them right no it's it's very easy to manipulate people if they think you're stupid and yeah. you're not like yes. you know it is not that it's great to manipulate people all the time but if they're being that shitty and rude it really is a weird thing up north like it the the most like I don't want to say the most tolerant people because like the, I don't again I don't want to imply that the north is like less racist or fucked up because it's yeah. absolutely not but like people like in, re, people who consider themselves enlightened people up north are still so biased against southerners and yeah. southern oh, accents yeah. and like anything sort of southern they are so disdainful of it's crazy it's like you're you're someone who would rightfully be horrified if somebody was stereotyping about another group of people this way but like you're comfortable saying everyone with a southern accent is stupid oh yeah yeah you know it's crazy to me yeah i man i i one of my cousin's friends there who i will not name is was one of the dumbest dudes i've ever met in my entire life (laughs) and uh he looks like uh, Doogie Hauser's homeboy Vinny. <laughs> That's what he kind of looked like. <laughs> and uh, he was like, he's my cousin's friend. He's giving me a ride home one night. We were we've been drinking. He was like, dude, like I didn't want to say anything, you know. But like, like you know what people think when they when you talk, right? When they hear people with their kind of accent, you know what they think, right? I was like, that I'm stupid. He's like, yeah, dude, I don't want to burst your bubble or anything. And I was just like, yeah, well, you are literally the dumbest guy I've ever met. <laughs> like, like, so, so weird. Like I don't know. I feel like you're obviously like you're a articulate person. You like, yeah, you know big, you know like college words. Yeah, like you speak yeah. you don't sound stupid you yeah just have yeah, an accent. yeah yeah he was just i don't think i sound as stupid to those people i think he's just an idiot like yeah, he was like also but, that. yeah also though, I, I can sound stupid though like four <laughs> beers in me and i was like you know, <laughs> so uh yeah but uh now when they walked into housing number 17 what they discovered shocked even the most seasoned of the squad there one guy threw up he's yeah like, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> God, yeah, God damn it, these it was, forgeries. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good sketch. Yeah, I, yeah. I really like cop throwing up as like a bit. Is really yeah, funny yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like the, the weirder uh, legal specialty he has. Like he's like a like a uh, uh, like what they call it, financial forensics guy. Yeah. Like just sees like a messy kept desk. He's like, Bleh! <laughs> I love it. I've been on the force seventeen years. I've never seen anything like this. Oh man! But what uh, what they discovered shocked even the most seasoned of the squad. Inside was a cottage industry for faking art, where a Svengali-like con man and his vulnerable son churned out forgeries that would rock the London art world. Art world, and not rock it like yeah, but rock it like whoa. <laughs> literally a cottage industry. Like, yeah, literally a cottage industry. Uh, so. It was the largest running forgery scam in recent history, and police estimate it netted the the Greenalls. Now, the Greenalls is the family here in question. Uh, it's G R E E N H L G H S. I'm going to say Greenalls. Okay. Green, yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. So uh, it netted them about 1.6 million. Nice. Uh, when they got raided, they had over 600,000 sitting in bank accounts, but the only visible sign of their windfall was a new Ford Focus sitting outside of the house. Oh, I like them. They're reasonable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're responsible. Because great mileage. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, indeed, by the time Scotland Yard had arrived in 2006, little had changed in the more than 30 years the family had lived on the estate. Uh, Sean, the son, still shared a small bedroom with his brother and an elderly aunt and his mother. Uh, neighbors Wait, all four of them yes. shared a bedroom? Wow. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Was, maybe I'm reading that wrong. How I don't old think was I am. the son? The son's... He's Adult. older than us. Okay. Yeah. Um, so neighbors called him frugal, reclusive, peculiar, and even a bit forlorn. Five adults crowded into a dingy three-bedroom council house. Uh, one guy said, you know, it was all a bit like the Playboy Mansion on a council estate. Old George in his room summoning his women. Last one detective familiar with the case who requested not to be identified. Yeah, good move. <laughs> uh, put it this way. It was not the dynamic of a normal family. What is what little is known of the Greenall's uh, home life comes mostly from school friends and neighbors. They say George Sr. had been fabricating fictions his entire life. Uh, in his younger years, he would comb the bleak, rain-soaked fields around Bolton, metal detector in hand. Neighbors remember him at the local pub, perched on an imitation sofa, showing off discovered treasures. So he was one of those weirdos. Yeah. The metal detector. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense in... England because there's lots of like you know there's like Iron Age stuff in England yeah yeah it's all, yeah it's histories all around you can find big. some uh, some ancient bullshit yeah and we, maybe sell it talk about weirdos with a fucking metal detector we had a guy who's come to my pawn shop and fucking pawn stuff that he oh, found metal I detecting bet. and he seemed like a nice enough guy older dude who drove a nice car and somebody was like yeah he has a job with the city and he doesn't even touch his money like that he literally lives off his metal detecting wow I was like wow it's so crazy and what a weirdo he, yeah well you want it gets weirder he kept coming in and finding my boss dropped another nugget because she'd been managing that place for like 17 years. Yeah. She was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and he definitely was suspected of killing his wife, but got off. Holy like, what? shit. Like, yeah. And then he set her car on fire with her in it. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah, man. Copper's right. Cove, baby. Goes I hard. like that that's not what she led with with the facts about that guy. Yeah, yeah. She's but- like, well, he's an avid metal detector and he works <laughs> for the city. So, yeah. yeah. Fucking Copper's Cove's most eligible bachelor. <laughs> the guy who set his wife on fire. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so he would spin stories of her 
heroics and adventures that no one ever believed. He was like the local liar. Uh, he claimed to have been a technical drawing teacher, although where is unknown. Uh, one guy said, it was a nasty bugger, <laughs> dominating <laughs> and controlling and known as a bit of a balloon, local slang for a liar, which is perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I want to incorporate that into my vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a balloon. Yeah. I love it. that. Uh, yeah, you're, got, fu- you're full of gas. Yeah, you're yeah. Just, just, I love it. Yeah, just zipping all over the room on nothing but bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> a balloon. Oh, so good. Yeah. Now, uh, he, uh, inevitably, the family provoked local gossip, gossip and a sense that lies and half-truths underpin their strange lifestyle, with neighbors quick to offer lots of local chatter about what the family was up to behind closed doors. Police detect- detectives scoff at that gossip, but still talk of the overpowering sense that a darker family secret propelled the crime spree. Uh, the one detective said, it wasn't our job to investigate the backstory, even if it did seem very odd, says one officer who asked not to be identified. Now, the... Uh Oh, hold on. There we go. Now, the most puzzling enigma was Sean. That's the son. Uh, this guy's a high school dropout. Uh, you know, he dropped out. Of the, they say he was 16. He got out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was able somehow to source original materials and track the intricate histories of long lost works of art. Uh, and how he did so dexterously from one meeting to the next. Because he would do stuff from like Anglo-Saxon era Britain. And he would do yeah. stuff from uh, from Egypt. You know, it was, he was. So this is the son? This is the son. Okay. So the son. And yeah. they would. So they would forge just like art from all. All periods of history. Yeah, and, art from all over. They would, which is seems like probably pretty unusual for yeah it an would, art forger. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 he's almost like prolific. He's like a like I don't want to say a rain man, but he's like no, the he's guy. a savant. Yeah, like he yeah, has, he yeah. clearly has some. Like, obviously, again, not to take away, like, of course, people in council houses can be incredibly artistically yes. talented, but it's like, yeah, this is clearly like a natural gift that yeah. is being honed. Like yeah. he has something very special. And also like what he was able to do was, cause sometimes it would be, they would bring items that were just rumored to exist. Yeah. And so he had to know like how to inscribe Anglo-Saxon around the base of this sculpture, uh, Anglo-Saxon English, just to, so that they could, you know, so they would, that would look authentic. So he didn't, right. have, he didn't just have to know how to make the thing. He had to know how to accurately portray the history copying. behind it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, they always talked about him. Like people said, he's very smart, but he was very odd. You know, one guy said, uh, whatever he did, he had a keen knowledge of, even as young as we were, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. If you found an egg in a nest, she, yeah, sure. He can tell you what egg it was. <laughs> their, their accent. He can tell you what egg it were, but, <laughs> but also what the bloody bird ate or whether they fly so many thousand miles and migrate and all that. He knew everything about what he were interested in. <laughs> so yeah, that's what everybody was saying about him. So now we're going to, we're going to flash uh, fast forward to this, that, that was where they were getting their things done. Uh, not, I'm sorry, flash forward. We're going to roll back and we're going to okay. uh, take us to the uh, the Manchester University. Okay. Um, this is where uh, George and Sean, George being the dad and uh, Sean being the son, uh, this was like one of their first um, attempts at selling a forged item. So okay. uh, the guy said he recalled that uh, water ran off the old man's trench hat and streamed down the shoulders of his khaki colored jacket. In his right hand, he held a shopping bag, the content straining the rain-soaked plastic. Once inside the shelter of Manchester University's imposing museum, he waited, dripping wet and bedraggled. From thick, from behind thick-rimmed glasses, steam-coated in the warmth of the lobby, George Sr.'s eyes were the same blue-gray color as his son's. It was a gaze that differed, less open, more calculating. <laughs> Practice had taught him how to change his look, lifting an eyebrow, relaxing a frown, turning his face from ominous to soulful one I minute mean, to the next. I feel like they're just describing, like, 
emotions and like social interactions. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we, I feel like we all know how to do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I get what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, they're saying but... like he, he essentially, uh, what he, so he would go in, he would talk to these like stodgy. He, again, he was pretending to be a rube. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he goes in and he said, uh, he must rehearse the story a dozen times, aiming to get it just right, uh, to tell it with a perfect mix of curiosity and candor. You know, I was looking for pieces with my metal detector up above the river, uh, terrace in uh, Avonham Park. That's in Preston, near me home in Bolton, he would tell experts at the university <laughs> that he'd found a treasure wrapped in a leather sack and a, and a hint that it might have uncovered something special, a piece of Anglo-Saxon history. It sounded possible, maybe even plausible, and with luck and a bit of prodding, they'd find their own way to identify it as some sort of ancient reliquary. Now, this one in particular was a silver chalice that dated back to the 10th century. Uh, <clears throat> small, squat, silver chalice uh, has single handle sculpted into it. At its base, had a carved uh, Christ who was seated with a staff and a large cross and inside was a small piece of wood mounted on rose quartz with gold leaf encrusted underneath barely visible to the eye yeah it sounds beautiful (laughs) um and so the thing is that now this was rumored to look like an item that contained that was rumored to contain a piece of the true cross. Like, ah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what they he says. You know, oh, I think I think I found this fucking thing. You know. Right. It's so, a relic. Yeah. Now this is the uh, Dr. David Hill, the senior research, the senior research fellow. <laughs> that's God, I love Britain. Anyways, <laughs> he said, "Oh, the old man was a liar through and through, but he was clever. Uh, the piece was constructed in a way that each bit needed to be uncovered. The gold leaf, for example, was well hidden. So it's saying that like it was created in a way to lure." people in when they were looking at it like right. he would make it to where you didn't just look at it and see everything you had to dig and then you're like oh shit here's like some gold leaves like you'd, you'd actually find it whereas in a less skilled forger might just it would be whip so it out, obvious plop it down. Yeah, yeah exactly so you know the guy said he came in soaked for the rain he goes I made him a cup of tea looked at the piece he brought with him he stood there asking what it was acting like a simpleton <laughs> letting me fill in the gaps he would have loved to pass off a fragment of the true cross uh, it was a scam the father and son would perfect over the years Hell copy yeah. a long lost object concoct a bag story cunning enough to fool the experts and on their first try George Sr. steered clear of inventing an elaborate history for the piece mm-hmm. claiming only that he found it in the ground near Riverbank yeah. it was a naive approach that he soon improved upon now Sean the family artist created the piece basing it on a missing Anglo-Saxon relic known as the Edred Reliquary Okay, sure. Get at me. Uh, starting with a <laughs> delicately layered object seems risky, but it may have come down to whatever materials they had available. Mm. Uh, many of Sean's metal objects, he actually made them from old historic melted coins, so they'd pass the metallurgy test. Interesting. Yeah, so I mean, like, the, the kid did his fucking homework, man. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, so the museum of specialists eventually dismissed it. They said it wasn't uh, it wasn't real, but it took them a long time to do that. Yeah. So they were just like, off top, they were like, yeah, our first run, and we stumped, you know, we stumped everybody. So as time went on, they would do the same thing and they would go to all these like auction houses and museums like the British Museum uh, Tate Modern Sotheby's Christie's and Bonham's uh, they approached all those and so wait I'm confused when they does it say anything like when he brought it to the University of Manchester did they offer him money for it or was it just a test well no they initially they they, they brought it to them that was more of a test yeah like they yeah. just brought it like, hey we they found this thing they just wanted to see if it would work yeah and, okay. it, and it definitely did way better than they thought like, it. It, like it took like I said it took them a long time it wasn't just like they were had like we're gonna have to hold on this for a while yeah and it took like a lot of different experts to finally conclude that it was not yeah. real so it was like okay this is we're on to something here. yeah yeah but like I, I think at this point it wasn't even they're on to something because he was just like oh i just found it you know okay cool and he wasn't asking money for it they were just saying right well, but no but but he's like that's the game is like yeah okay this works now i can figure out how to monetize it, yeah exactly yeah. exactly 
So now Sean, he researched all the all the masterpieces. Uh, he poured over historical details and technical descriptions. He would work from old photographs or drawings. Uh, as I said, he could switch artistic mediums mediums with amazing dexterity. Uh, he could do Anglo-Saxon reliquary, 19th century watercolors. He did pieces like from uh, names, none of which I know, L.S. Lowry, Henry Moore, Man Ray, Constantine Brancusi, and Otto Dix. So the I know hits. some of those people. Yeah. Um, and the ones I know are all from very disparate eras so that is that is yeah it's all over the fucking place yeah and so and they said uh uh, one one guy to scotland yard said he had a a knack for uh learning from his mistakes so Mm. uh oh this was george senior so like he would he would do the pitch the son would make the shit he would pitch it they said if a fake was rejected he'd work out a better pitch and a more convincing storyline uh as the crown prosecution service put it the defendants were persistent taking failure in their stride before turning it into new fakes it's weird that it didn't like ping to anybody that's what i was that, thinking like, too if because if it's turned away and it's even if you're like you know i just found this or whatever like what are the odds that you're finding a bunch of fakes yeah like, yeah that's what i was wondering too when i was reading it and i guess like why doesn't your name go on a list when you submit yeah. something not that it's like not that we're accusing you of anything but if you come back to us in oh three weeks with something else yeah we're gonna be skeptical yeah exactly and like i think what what it was was this was also he went all over the place and i'm sure in england there's enough places like this it just seems like they yeah they gotta have museums laying around man i mean they are english <laughs> uh, they but, do have a lot of museums i'm just surprised there's it's not like well this was know. in the late 80s early 90s okay okay that makes more sense yeah that, they, they got busted in 06 but okay, like yeah right. it started okay. back then that, that makes more sense to me yeah All so right. their first big scam was in 1991 uh that was when they got two american buyers to pay 160 grand for a roman silver tray known as the risley park links uh, the piece was later put on display at the British Museum as a cast of the original Lynx. Uh, now, at that point, business started popping. Uh, they st- they sold a Samuel Peplo still life for $32,000. A bust of Thomas Jefferson sold at Sotheby's for $77,000. Damn. Yeah, that's like Sotheby's is like an international auction house. Like, it's that's, like, yeah, it's yeah. a very renowned, yeah. like... Yeah, I uh, trust them house. more than my own mother, I exactly. would say. Exactly, <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> uh, they, they got a, a Barbara Hepworth terracotta goose was bought by the Henry Moore Institute for 4800 bucks. Damn. A little weekend spending money there, a little small <laughs> little dab. Like, hey, whip something up real quick. We got to go out of town. Yeah, let's let's make a goose real yeah. quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make me a goose. Uh, so the Chicago Art Institute picked up a Halloween sculpture for 125000 All fake. So... Now this this went on uh, like I said all throughout the nineties essentially. So uh, he did sculptures and paintings. Sculptures, huh? paintings, like yeah, it was it's wild. Uh, everything and and, and like like and like you said from different time periods. Yeah, and, uh, artifacts. Yeah, he had ways of like like one thing like he want to make it look old. He would cook it in uh, dirt and um, dirt and tea. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, so he would boil that and that. And so um, yeah, so uh, now two thousand and three. The Greenalls had their their biggest sale yet. They okay. had the jackpot. They did a seven hundred thousand dollars sale to the local Bolton Museum. Now and nobody realized that it was the same guys nah, doing all these auctions. Apparently not. I guess if they yeah well, they go they're, through a mediator yeah they're very separate from the auction. I would imagine the auction's like eight or nine or not eight, but it's like three or four steps away from them. But it's like if they're selling it at the auction, like I'm assuming they're not going through. Do you think Sotheby's perhaps buys things knowing what they can sell it for at auction? Maybe. I just don't know how any of this works. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, you think there would be some centralized thing of like, 
it's the same guys every time. Yeah. Like these are now notable art dealers. Like let's yeah. figure out something about them That's or I, something. I wonder if they're going through an intermediary to other to other dealers. Right. That's if they have like, like a big. fence or something. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm assuming they do. Yeah. But anyway. So uh, yeah, it was this. They they, they sold a uh, they sold an item to the local Bolton Museum. Now this this one this one was a clever combination of Sean's delicate craftsmanship and George's inventive record of ownership, nice. uh, known in the art world as Providence. Um, that, that convinced Egyptologists they had discovered a rare artwork dating back more than three thousand years. Sweet. Uh, yeah, the British uh, Museum. That's uh, a long uh, record of ownership. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you see, it was my grandmom, and then she had it with it, and go back, and then, yeah, and then pretty much it goes back to uh, you know uh, one thousand BC. Uh, yeah. So the British Museum and Christie's, which handled the sale, agreed. Uh, the twenty-one inch alabaster figure known as the uh, Amarna Princess was Sean's masterwork. Yet, oh, I've heard of this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. this now. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, they, they they said this this fooled the entire fucking world. Uh, he said he carved it in three weeks <laughs> just fuck yeah 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 just, wah, wah, just dead, went right through it this was like and this was like a um artistically notable yes thing. now the cool thing about this is that it was part of a if, if i'm to, not to be if i'm getting this understood correctly this this thing was part of a, of a of a rumored it was the missing piece of a group exactly so this had this, this was not just an, a, a fake but was definitely his own kind of original artwork because yeah, nobody knew yeah, nobody knew what the third the third one looked like. Exactly. It was like, from my understanding, it was like a sort of like, also exemplary of like a combination of these two traditions. Yes. Like these two styles. And so it's like his interpretation of those two styles in combination. Yeah. Just like, this guy's like a really good artist. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, and, and uh, yeah, it gets that. You see, he had some, uh, he had some legitimate hopes and dreams there for a yeah. while. Um, so he made the sculpture. Yeah. So he he made it. Uh, it was breathtaking. Has everybody agreed? Yeah. So uh, now it gets in now it says yeah, as any good forger understands, you know the, that their crime is like a magic act, uh, demands complicity from the audience. So he knows that even the most sophisticated onlookers are primed to see what they want to see. Psychologists call it confirmation bias, the Absolutely. tendency for people to search for evidence that pre- uh, confirms their preconceptions. So George Sr. instinctively understood that to fool a buyer, he needed to make them see what they wanted to see. Uh, to do that, a convincing providence was crucial. His skills at conjuring providence were never more evident than in the fa- the, in the family's final con, uh, taking on one of the, the world's great museums and a scam so audacious it would bring their forging racket to an end. Hell yeah. Yeah, so tucked away in the hidden spaces of the British Museum, the Department of the Middle East snakes its way behind a maze of marble galleries. Here? Have you ever been? You, have you ever been there? I have not. I've uh, I've been in Heathrow Airport. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you like you were in Germany. And yeah, yeah. No, I did. We, we British flew. Museum is dope. If you ever get a chance, it is free. If you're ever in London, go do it. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, I would like. I would love to go check this shit out. Uh, just London in general. Yeah, I just want to be drunk somewhere out in the country. Right, <laughs> getting drunk abroad, very fun. Yeah. So uh, now. So that we uh, so that was here where John Curtis, one of England's foremost antiques experts, reigns over a staff of uh, a staff of twelve and a collection of some three hundred thirty thousand objects. Uh, his first contact with the Greenalls was a handwritten letter from George Senior. Uh, that and you know he looked at it and he judged his opening gambit as genuine, even guileless, with its spiderly scrawl bobbling all over the faint blue lines of notebook paper. Simply childlike writing, you know. The letter offhandedly suggested that three stone reliefs purportedly discovered in the Greenalls garage. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, where Egyptians used to live. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that it could have been picked up by his great grandfather at an estate sale. Uh, he claimed he might even have an old catalog from the sale. So it was a plan right out of the Forger's handbook. Track down an authentic provenance for an object that has long been lost to the art world. Forge a fake matching the description and presented to the experts with a tantalizing clue that will lead them to piece together its history. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. hooked, Curtis suggested George bring the reliefs into the museum. He's like, yeah, bring them on over. He's like, oh shit. He's like, I was right outside. I just, there <laughs> you go. Uh, but it was Sean now, actually, who was thrust into the role of salesman for the first time. He Uh-oh. had to bring the artwork to London. Maybe this was because they thought they had been made. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So, three museum assistants, they carried it all in. They they bring it in there. They open it up and they look at it. And Curtis, the guy who said, you know, he must have, he had to see the possibility, if only for an instant, of an extraordinary find. Yeah. The discovery of a piece of art that for centuries was believed to be buried in the desert sands of northern Iraq. I was thinking when I read that line earlier, I was thinking of like, you know, they talk about draining the oceans. What would you find? Yeah. If you just moved all that fucking sand out of the way. Yeah. That's insane. Well, like that's, I mean, obviously this is not the worst part of all of the stuff in Syria. And and that part of the world, but so much. Oh, yo, yeah, so yeah. much, so much like ancient um, architecture and like evidence of these like really amazing civilizations in Mesopotamia have been fucking bombed to shit yeah. by either us or people mad at us. Like yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. like ISIS completely destroyed Damascus. Like yeah. you know, like yeah, it's just, it, was all, it was all idols as far as they were concerned. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Um, kind of an aside but and again not worse than any like all yeah, the yeah, yeah. human not, yeah. suffering but like a real tragedy yeah, to like yeah. sort of the human record yeah yeah once yeah like looking back at it that's gonna be like you know the the tagline of the Ken Burns Syria documentary yeah. like also lost was a lot of art yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, so uh, what they all looked at when they opened up this box they saw it it was three stone reliefs they varied in size and condition but all three appeared to be Assyrian roughly 2700 years old if authentic they would earn the owner a small fortune in the art market uh, uh, the va- their value to the museum would be inestimable. Inestimable. Uh, nice. But it was the smallest of the three reliefs that grabbed the staff's attention. The small stone fragment seemed to uh, precisely match a pencil drawing stored out of sight in the museum's archives. Mm. It had been rendered uh, in 1845 by Austin Henry Laird, one of the great archaeological pioneers of the Victorian age. So everybody knew this piece. Everybody knew the Laird drawing. Yeah. And he said... <clears throat> You know, we knew it was probably never taken out of the ground by Laird because it was so fragile. Yeah. That's what uh, Dr. Irving Finkel, assistant keeper of the ancient Mesopotamian script, uh, languages and cultures at the British Museum. So he said when the fragment showed up, looking as if it had survived with just a bit missing at the edge, well, it was marvelous. But for Finkel, the thrill didn't last long. He said there was the initial rictus of amazement at seeing this thing and then upon delight and excitement. But then there was an interim period where the scales fell from people's eyes, he said, explaining the intricacies of discovering flaws in the cuneiform inscription. Okay. But like, like, they had to discover the flaws in the cuneiform right. description. Like it was like they, they had to look. They had go to like, send it to a cuneiform specialist. Yeah, that's and, how that's how good this guy was. Yeah. So uh, brushing back his long white hair and tucking a piece or two back into his ponytail. <laughs> Fucking thanks for the detail, bud. <laughs> he said uh, the old man played us. The con was laid like a mouse trap with cheese, and we were caught like that. Hell <laughs> he, yeah! Then he snapped his hands. <laughs> Um, so anyways uh, now after that in the end it was essentially a tip off from the museum that got that from the green halls mm-hmm. that brought the art squad to Bolton so there's back to the back to the, the 2006 raid got on it. the green hall compound so that's what led to it yeah this is now we're here so once over the threshold at number 17 art squad detectives 
<laughs> took a few minutes to adjust to the gloom. The morning light was dim, and low wattage bulbs are rarely uh, low wattage bulbs barely lit the small, untidy rooms. Uh, we felt like we'd stepped into a time warp," says Detective Constable Holland Araki, describing the house as the describing the house the modern world would have left behind, shabby, outdated, and worn. But it was the clutter that shocked the team: piles of books, old magazine, papers, and cartons—a hoarder's paradise. Now, in the tight storage space running along the kitchen, detective stumbled across a huge array of forging tools slabs of marble limestone alabaster all that shit it was all there and they also found a uh, a drawing and a rough dra- a rough sculpted draft of the amarna princess mm-hmm. so they also found the bust of an egyptian pharaoh staffed under stashed under a backyard bench nice <laughs> uh, put that over there <laughs> uh half finished statues were all over the fucking place stuffed into wardrobes hidden in drawers uh like yeah you, you like you couldn't you couldn't go fucking two feet without bumping into it's like like a monet like, I can stay on. <laughs> so uh george senior they said sat upstairs talked up and tucked up in bed in his cotton long johns uh, presumably with a nightcap yeah clearly yeah and a fucking candle <laughs> yeah candle on a spoon <laughs> so they they uh they combed the property for nearly six hours they loaded the evidence 60 bags in all from sandwich wow. size to garbage sacks sean stood there quietly by as the police tore to the house the detective said he didn't argue he mostly watched uh he said he was clearly the junior partner in the family and he behaved like it mm. yeah so this is gonna start to come into light uh george senior kind of a shithead yeah uh when they moved out to the garden exploiting his son's yes incredible yeah. talent uh when they moved out to the garden they made their way around the scrappy plot of land it's bald lawn strewn with mismatched leftovers of years of artistic tinkering in one corner stood a 12 by 14 foot weather beaten shed sean stood by quietly as they raided his private domain so that was like his his little oh, workshop sean. yeah and he watched as the detectives bagged uh just two decades of unrecognized creativity oh that was all his private goods that was all yeah. That was like his passion. His original shit. work. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the one guy called it an Aladdin's cave of evidence. Uh, and as Sean may well have known that to build a criminal case against his family, the police needed to prove both he and his parents knew the objects that, that they knew that the objects they were selling were fake. Yeah. At that point, most of the case hinged on Sean and later his parents and like what they were prepared to tell them. Yeah. So police conducted 30 hours of questioning and six interviews, most of which found Sean steadfastly sticking to the family storyline that the art had been inherited. Aww. Yeah, he's just like uh, not built for this. You know, yeah. he's not cut out. Like, just, just wants like, to make his parents happy. Yeah, I just imagine like a dopey menace. He's like, so so you made the art at eleven fifty five. He's like, yeah. So you made the art at eleven fifty seven. Yeah. Now you know you just fucked up, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know you done fucked up, right? So uh, art squad detectives. Uh, they were talking to him and they just remembered the frustration of letting Sean go home to the green halls at night, knowing he'd be back again, swearing the family knew nothing. His father likely having coached him. So George senior, meanwhile, insisted in four separate interviews that he had no idea. The artwork they had sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars was in fact created in the back garden by his youngest son. (laughs) That's why he was like, I didn't know he was doing that shit. He snowed me. Yeah. Yeah. When, when officers asked if Sean might've made the forge of Syrian reliefs, uh, George said almost with a smirk in his voice, my lad can hardly knock a nail in. Oh, Oh, so he fucking just didn't even acknowledge his son's talent. Yeah. 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 Like, so finally on September 5th, 2006, without warning or explanation, Sean walked into the police department and confessed. Good for Sean. He simply, well, no, not good for God Sean. God damn it. Yeah. He said he simply changed his story on the act, on the tapes, his accent, a Northern, a broad Lancashire accent. They say he stumbled at times, catching himself with the determination to take all the responsibility. Sean, he said, I, ha- I haven't involved anyone in me family. 
I'm not covering up for anybody. Oh. I made all of these things. They've all been my idea. I've said all I can say. I've made them. It's my fault, and I just have to take the blame for it. Oh. Yeah. It was a well-rehearsed script that was likely stage-managed by George Sr. It was a complete turnaround that we weren't expecting at all, says Racky, that was the head detective. Uh, it seemed the result of a family consultation where the family decided that Sean should not uh, should take the blame for everything. And the thing is, if George Sr. had taken the blame, I doubt either one would have ever ended up in prison because mm-hmm. George Sr. is old as shit. Yeah, 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 you're probably right. Yeah, he said, we had a confession, but it was disappointing. In the end, it's not the full story, is it? We would have liked the truth. Sean was eventually sentenced to four years and eight months in prison. Aww, serving. Yeah, serving half of his term before early release in 2010. George Sr. and his wife, Olive, both received suspended sentences for the roles in the con. The family was also ordered to pay compensation of about $600,000. So at the time of his arrest, George Sr. was 80. He came to court in a wheelchair, playing with the sympathy of the judge. If he had taken the blame, claiming his son was merely an accomplice, it's unlikely he would receive more than a suspended sentence and that Sean would have ever seen jail time. What an asshole. What a fucking asshole. Just threw his son right into the bus. His son, who obviously put his own artistic ambitions on hold yeah. to follow your stupid fucking con because because you trained him to never speak up for himself, you know? Right. Yeah, so once he confessed, Sean offered more details of how the fakes were created, but the most pressing questions about the Greenall case still... <laughs> whoo, they're trying to trip Americans up with this word. The, <laughs> the most pressing question questions about the Greenall case still niggle. <laughs> oh, what? Hold on, bud. <laughs> let's, let's thesaurus something. We can come up with something better. Yeah. Let's just go linger yeah. how about that yeah, yeah right yeah come on guys i like man like i i i ni double g i count I, I check out i'm like nope this word's no in, in, if there's any yeah there's yeah. an ni gg i'm like no you know what i'm using a different word like I, I don't not care. worth it yeah no not worth it so uh there were hints of behind the scenes puppet master guiding sean's artistic endeavors oh were the hints of behind the scenes puppet masters guiding sean's artistic endeavors to believe to be believed uh where much of the money gone and what have talked about dozens of green all fakes that have yet to be uncovered mm. there was also little insight into the family's criminal in- enterprise in police interviews sean remained very vague about his artistic ambitions revealing only hints of bitterness that he was never able never never able to study or sell his own work yeah he said i think the reason i've done it it's my lifestyle i i i have no friends I never go out or bother with anybody. I just find people difficult to deal with. I tried for years to make my own way. Nobody were interested in the work. If it was the ancients or any other name, they were all eyes and ears. To tell you the Aww. truth, I've been absolutely amazed they fooled anyone because they didn't fool me. I, re- I really only took the fakes to museums to see what they had to say before I sold them. I was shocked when they wanted them. Once that happened, I couldn't turn back now, could I? Wow. Yeah. That's so sad. That's very sad, yeah. You were so, right. Yeah, now the, uh, the case is now I- nearly a just again this would be an amazing movie it would be just yeah. starring just like one of those Stephen Fry is the son <laughs> <laughs> no I'm thinking I'm thinking one of those like bleak like northern England like dramas like a, yeah, an yeah. Angela's Ashes type thing yeah well, yeah, you give, just a, about you give a dramatic just, role you see the guy he kind of is Stephen Fry she's older yeah he's a, maybe, just like a big gentle man yes yeah yeah. So that's yeah. The, the vibe I got of him unless he's a real violent son of a bitch maybe we don't know I don't know but uh, just the case, a big sweetie yeah, yeah. the case now nearly dead decade old came back into focus recently when George Greenall senior died of natural causes because hate will fuel you into your hundreds. Yep. It's so in fact, yeah, if evil will keep you alive just for, for yeah. 10 decades, pieces of shit live forever. Yeah. Uh, he was 91 years old. Uh, few expect his son, Sean now in his mid fifties to step out of the long shadow of his domineering father. But for those who followed the original story, it's tempting to imagine him charting his own creative path and becoming 
brilliant artist in his own right. I hope that this generated a market for his work. I really do. I mean, obviously now, one thing that was an, an attached story that... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize. I, I did my little ending voice. One more paragraph. Here. <laughs> so he said, the first thing I wondered, uh, now this is one of the, the detectives. They said, the first thing I wondered when I heard the news is what will Sean do now? Uh, whatever happens, I expect all of our questions will remain frustratingly unanswered and that no one will ever get to the bottom of their deep family mystery. The family lawyer commenting in a brief interview echoes that view. He said, Sean has no interest in speaking to the press or revealing his thoughts for general dissemination. He will be as he was. Life will go on as it did before. Not long after prison sean did something unexpected seeming to signal he had broken free of his father's control in 2011 he launched a website to sell his own original artwork do you Hell yeah. yeah live your life baby what's his website do you know um i do not know <laughs> look it up no Google but it. now you're gonna like this this kind of go this kind of for uh, verges off to forge by fire territory. Okay. Uh, he launched a website that sells on original artwork, although the site quickly folded. So, ah, goddammit. Two years later, he made a brief appearance as a craftsman in the BBC documentary The Dark Ages and Age of Light. Yeah. He was filmed re- recreating an Anglo Saxon artifact. I've watched that. I've seen yeah? that. That Yeah, Dark Ages and Age of Light. They don't talk about the fact that he's a, an art. Well, he's, he's art like literally like dressed in like Anglo Saxon clothes, like making it like the yeah. authentic way. They don't, they just say, here's a, here's a villager. Yeah. So he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't get the, the, the name. That kicks ass yeah but uh he is uh he was filmed recreating an anglo-saxon artifact an iconic throwback to his earliest work as a forger since then little has been seen of bolton that's the town where he's from bolton's most reluctant celebrity Aww. uh his father's death made grant sean some sense of freedom and a chance to create original art but after years of keeping secrets obeying orders and diverting his own artistic journey he may prefer to live his life quietly hidden in the shadows Aww. that's my ending voice nice but he uh he did pop back up though and one of the source stories i found researching this was uh this uh uh some art piece went up and in some museum and he notified him was like hey that's mine that's fake oh <laughs> yeah. sweet good for him yeah and everybody and they're debating it and they're like no he's like no i know it's fake I'll tell i you, made I, it he's like i bought the vellum at this place i bought he's like yeah. everything about it he's like yeah it's my shit that's so funny <laughs> that's awesome so yeah uh uh worth it no heaven no god no, no. but well i mean okay not- well i guess you got to like yeah it's not worth being emotionally distant and domineering towards your son that's exactly. never worth like, it it's yeah. the, i feel like it's not worth it because of the because like your time is better spent uh using your own creativity correct and yeah. uh your time is better spent forming your own opinion or yeah. forming your own identity uh, separate from your dad. But yeah, the that's so they wouldn't be worth it for that. But like art forging kind of worth yeah, it. Yeah. Kind of worth it. Cause like, I mean, if somebody, I mean, if, if somebody's dropping like 15 grand on a painting, I don't, I don't care the, about that. The person. British Museum stole all that shit anyway. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, fuck them. Yeah, I, I love the British Museum. Like, it's fun to go to, but like, if you can make something good enough to fool them, like they don't deserve to have any of the real stuff anyway. Yeah, so who yeah, cares? Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that yeah, definitely worth it if you if you can get away with it, get your art for John. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what though. General rule of thumb: only forge uh, historical artwork and dead artists. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't. For, yeah, don't forge. Don't be like, yeah, I got this. Like, for example, the guy who did the Willie Nelson on the side of mugshots, Wiley Ross. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Wiley Ross. I'm seeing that dude's artwork everywhere. And you, you were there mugs that night that he was the guy. He's this big, tall. I'll say it, sexy ass dude. And he like, <laughs> you know, the Willie Nelson on the yeah, side of mugshots. Yeah. He uh, was there like for like four nights painting it. And he's just a hunk. Oh, he's just like super tall. Like, in, like, like. 
guy like built like ripped like looked like he played football as well yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, like he walked but he's the, sensitive because he's an artist yeah well he walked in the back of mugshots like after he's done painting for the night covered in ripped clothes and covered in paint and just like cracked open a lone star and was like talking to the table uh, and like oh yeah all, everybody he, he, was he left yeah, wet. every female comic was just like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like yeah it's so, like if somebody was like making fake Wiley Rosses that would be bad yeah yeah don't, don't forge do a that. living artist yeah. they can tell <laughs> and so we tell you you're not gonna you can't fake the Wiley Ross maybe maybe, maybe on a canvas not in person <laughs> but uh, he's he's an excellent artist like that Willie Nelson uh, and Janis Joplin mural is dope as shit yeah it's cool we took our live cheat and steal photo in front yeah, of that yeah, shit yeah 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 all right so yeah don't do that uh, so if you're gonna forge forge from long dead civilizations yes exactly yeah. uh, and uh, you know and also kick a little bread to the uh proper charities related to the culture that you stole from yes okay yeah, yeah. yeah. there we go we figured out the we figured way to out do the, this. Yeah, the, the moral gymnastics to correct yeah. the art fraud yeah <laughs> all right guys but uh yeah thank you for tuning in that's what that is uh check us out uh we're on twitter at lcs podcast and on facebook at lie cheat and steal podcast i'm on twitter at at pztx that's p-e-z-y-t-x kath where can we find you i'm kath barbadoro on everything um i have two other podcasts lie cheat and steal is this one <laughs> i'm tired i'm not Fatigue. good at plugs <laughs> uh yeah lie cheat and steals this one check that out uh i have two other ones i have what a time to be alive which is a topical week in review uh podcast uh where we get mad at dumb news i also have a podcast called wrestle Splania, where i a wrestling fan uh introduce wrestling to uh a new fan my friend rachel millman so check those out and uh we'll see you next time everybody yeah, guys uh remember don't get caught don't get caught. Peace.